Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another Friday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the Christian and Catholic faith. Now, while typically each Friday is me responding to a question to then muse over some aspect of the faith that hit me from the past week, today I will be musing on the nature of a question to then engage upon a reflection into the cross as we inch closer to Lent. You know, my friends, we ask many questions about the Christian faith, huh? As well we should. As host to this radio show, I have come to appreciate a good Q&A. In point of fact, an honest Q&A should provide anyone who is seeking to better understand the Christian faith with food for thought to grow in their faith, right? For example, if you ask me about the rites of the Mass, it would be my hope that my specific answer to your specific questions about the rites of the Mass would enrich your experience of the Mass itself, huh? That being said, while a good Q&A between two people can be sustenance for the soul, it is our Q&A with Jesus that should always take precedence, right? Jesus himself loved to ask questions. 307 to be exact. What's more, in the 183 questions he was asked, he often responded with a question. By my account, only three times did Jesus give an answer to a question. So the question <laughs> that I posed to you was, why was Jesus so compelled to ask questions? Why do we have questions? Well, in the case of Jesus, because Jesus really wants to engage us. He has a very real personal interest in getting closer to us. And in doing so, he not only reveals more of who he is to us, but also helps us to see more of who we are in his eyes, right? On one hand, Jesus could have responded to the many questions he received with specific answers for sure. It may have brought peace of mind to the soul, no doubt. But Jesus was interested in more than simply providing an answer. He was interested in the deeper, more personal encounter behind the question. Consider the robust conversation going on with the twelve apostles after they came back from being sent out two by two. When you read that narrative closely, you discover there was a lot of discussion going on about who Jesus actually was. In a moment when Jesus could have responded to the twelve with, I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he instead decided to turn the question on the twelve. Who do you say that I am? He desires to engage them. He makes the conversation personal and seeks to draw them into a deeper relationship with him. Huh? In this case, of course, Peter was the one who stepped forward and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Lord's personal question provoked a personal and faith-filled response. You see, by asking a question, 
he prompted the more critical interior reflection, which then led Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, to take ownership of what Jesus most desired, that the truth of who he was as Messiah invade his soul and, of course, the twelve, their souls through and through. What's fascinating about this is in asking questions, Jesus was in imitation of God the Father. Consider, follow me if you will. After Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden, we read of the first question asked in the Old Testament, where are you? Hmm? Where are you? The first question asked in the Old Testament. Now, I have another question for you. Did God lose Adam? Did the omnipotent God, creator of all things, actually lose Adam? Well, of course not. Was God playing a game of hide-and-seek with Adam? (laughs) Adam may have with God, but not God with Adam. The question was not for God's sake, but for Adam's sake. By asking Adam a question, he was giving Adam an opportunity to reconcile himself with God. Consider, when you are struggling in your faith, and you have been intentional about not being around your typical circle of Christian friends, when a friend from that circle asks you, where have you been? It is an opportunity for you to come clean and begin the process of reconciliation with your circle of friends. In the end, God asked Adam a question because God the Father desired to reveal to Adam and Eve his eternal design for them. God the Father takes us personally and desires to draw us into deep personal relationship with him. Here a note of caution. Or maybe a heads up as we enter more fully into relationship with Jesus Christ. Our questions to him, as well as the questions he poses to us, will always be made in charity and truth. We will grow in our love and knowledge of him, but he in turn will help us to grow in the truth of who we really are in his eyes. This takes courage an ongoing trust in him who invites us into the life he offers. So this is what we pray for. So my dear friends, if we genuinely desire to be enriched in our faith, let us ask questions. This is good. But as we do, be mindful of God's questions. They are personal and revelatory. God's deepest desire is to grow in a deep and life-giving relationship with us. As Scripture tells us, I no longer call you servants, but friends. So let us more fully open our minds and hearts to to God, who has such a great call for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Now, as we transition out of a reflection on the nature of a question into my musing for the week. I want us to be mindful that, uh, again, we are approaching Lent. I would like to share with you a personal story. The date was August 18th, 2011, and I was tucked away on the fourth floor in a little room in 
Christ Church, Oxford, England. After successfully defending my dissertation, I sat down to write my foreword to the work. Upon doing so, I was made to consider the relevance of August 18th, if any, to my dissertation topic on poverty and the new evangelization in the writings of John Paul II. What I discovered about August 18th was really a most fascinating connection to my topic. On August 18th, we celebrate the memorial of St. Helena. Now, while some of us know her as the mother of Emperor Constantine, who lifted the persecution of the Christians with the Edict of Milan in 313 AD, she is more widely known as the courageous woman who traveled to Jerusalem to find the relics of the crucifixion, most notably upon the request of Constantine himself, the cross. And this she did. St. Helena will always be tied to the cross, the icon, really, of Christ's poverty here on earth. Keeping that in mind, keeping that in our rearview mirror, it was on a hot summer day in Mogila, Poland, when St. John Paul II, while referring, uh, reflecting upon the meaning of the cross in Polish history, stated this, Where the cross is raised... There is the sign that evangelization has begun. A new evangelization has begun. As if it were a new proclamation, even if in reality is the same as ever. The cross stands high over the revolving world. Essentially there, John Paul II wants us to see that the cross and the new evangelization go hand in hand. Okay. As this link between St. Helena and my dissertation topic was washing over me, I could not stop thinking about the relevance of the cross in the life of the church. Over the centuries and through the years, humanity bears testimony to that one beguiling truth, the power of the cross. St. Paul preached Jesus Christ? No, Jesus Christ crucified. This was the stumbling block, huh? The life of each saint, no doubt, is one testimony after another to the power of the cross. Two thousand years later, we must rediscover this power, this power in our own lives. We must rekindle, A, the the power of cognitively recognizing that Jesus' excruciation will always be far worse than anything we have to endure. He will always understand our misery. B, we must rekindle the power of suffering, whether it be physical, emotional, relational. When conformed to the cross, can unleash more of God's love into the world. As St. Paul reminds us in Colossians 1.24, our suffering with Jesus, unitive suffering, fills up hearts that live in spiritual poverty. C, we must rekindle similar to that of B, the power of forgiveness when united to our Lord's words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This can bring about unimaginable reconciliation. And lastly, D, the call we have to rekindle the the power of unselfish love when contemplating the Via Dolorosa, the, the way of grief. My friends, during Lent, 
We are encouraged to keep our eyes fixed on the cross and the corpus of Christ that is nailed to the cross, that in the words of St. John Paul II in Mogila, Poland, each human being may be aware of the strength that Christ has given him, the strength to suffer, the strength to forgive, the strength to live unselfishly. As I think back to that night in Oxford, England, I remember so vividly my last few thoughts as I dozed off to sleep that the saving power of the cross stands high over the revolving world. And so as we put the cross before us in our meditations and reflection upon our relationship with Jesus Christ, we ask all the necessary questions. And as we do, we do for the sake of a more intimate encounter with him this Lent. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.